welcome to MHR Radio, the podcast. Uh, we're on our fourth episode, which means it's preseason week three. I am joined by Jan Wang. Hello. Uh, Kyle is traveling. He's actually on his way to Denver right now. We have um, the Saturday preseason game against the Rams. We'll be joined by one of our, I guess, brother blogs, uh, Turf Show Times, Mike from Turf Show Times. We'll be on a little bit later talk some Rams football. Um, Rams and Broncos have a couple things in common, right, Jan? Yeah, they um, had Josh they, McDaniels for a while. They had Josh McDaniels. <laughs> that's absolutely right. I don't even know how. I mean, offensively, they they didn't really do too much last year. I don't think. I think they Sam, had like offensive. Uh, I mean, Sam Bradford. Like he's supposed to be like a Matt Stafford. He looks a little bit more like a Kyle Orton right now. Um, Jeff Fisher and and uh, um, Mike Shanahan were some of the longest tenured coaches for a while. Now, now they're all with new teams, including Andy Reid. He's jumped over to the Kansas City Chiefs. So we'll have some questions for him. Uh, one thing I got to remember to ask him about was Will Weatherspoon. That was a that was a linebacker that the Broncos were actually kind of um, in a bidding war over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These old linebackers that the Broncos really love. Um, they actually signed one today, and we'll get to that in just a bit. Right now, I guess the topic du jour is Von Miller, and I hope you guys aren't too tired of hearing about him. But Von Miller was suspended today for uh, six games by the NFL, which means that normally the way it would work is a player would go through this entire process, and no one would know anything until this Tuesday. Um, so, so as of August 20th would have been the first time a fan, an NFL person um, outside of the Broncos – would have ever heard of, of any type of suspension for Von Miller. So what we actually got was the appeal process. Um, Von was notified sometime in May that he was going to be suspended. The NFL was able to suspend him for a little bit longer than um, four games. Usually what, how it works is – I'll do my best to explain this. Players put in step one of the program when they violate any type of drug whatever it may be, marijuana, ecstasy, cocaine, acid, it doesn't matter. Player goes into step one of the program. There's no punishment in step one. Step one, you're in two, you're in the program for two months unless there's some extenuating, uh, extenuating circumstances. Those, they, you can be extended a little bit longer than that. But basically you produce clean urine tests for two months and you're good. You're out of the program. Now what we received word on about a month ago was that Von Miller actually tested positive twice, once for marijuana and once for an amphetamine, which was said to be Molly, uh, which is kind of a pure form of MDMA or the other street drug known as ecstasy. So that puts him in step two of the program. Step two of the program, uh, you can be suspended. Step two of the program, you can be tested as many times uh, every three days. So that's 10 times in a month, uh, getting tested 10 times in a month, and you're in the program for two years. So Von Miller may have been looking at a test every three days. So we're looking at, you know, over a month, you're testing 10 times, three times, or, you know, as many three times a week in some weeks, or I guess, I'm sorry, <laughs> it would be once every like nine, you know, doing once one every three days. It could be a big deal. Uh, that guy's in the locker room. He's getting you when you're, you know, you're coming in, you're just, you're, you're required to produce clean urine every three days uh, possibly. And you don't really know exactly when it's going to come. It could be as many times as 10. It could be once a month. And they probably mess around a little bit with you while you're in step two. So on step two, 
Von Miller uh, again messed up somehow. Now there's a rule within this, within the new collective bargaining agreement that if a player is to produce a specimen that's not human, so like a la DJ Williams, if they mess with the process somehow, um, if they produce diluted urine, diluted urine means you can produce a diluted sample basically by drinking too much uh, liquid, which has kind of become a running joke around here because we had Von Miller, or Kyle had an interview with Von Miller where Von Miller was producing, or was <laughs> not producing, Von Miller was promoting staying hydrated. Now, um, that was through Gatorade, but he was you know, basically insisting that kids stay hydrated drinking Gatorade and water. Had Von Miller not produced such a hydrated sample, we may not be in this situation. So the rumor with that is, is that while in step two, um, at some point in the season last year, Von Miller was required to produce a sample, and he fudged the sample somehow. He spilled the urine out of the cup, told the, told the guy, okay, I need to go out to practice, goes out to practice, comes back, and produces a diluted sample. Now, within the rules of, of step two of the CBA uh, drugs program, now, he's, now he can be suspended for four games. However, if you produce a diluted sample or if you mess with the sample in some way, they can get you for longer than that. And that's how Von Miller arrived at six games. The rumor for the last couple of weeks is that someone wanted, someone in the NFL wanted Von Miller to be suspended for even longer than six games. They were looking at 10 more from ESPN. Chris Mortensen had a report last, uh, early this week that he, they wanted to suspend him for the entire year. So six games was kind of the settlement for that. Uh, the issue now, Von Miller is, of course, the main thing is that he's suspended for six weeks. So he'll be out through week six. Week seven is against the Indianapolis Colts this season. Um, but now he's in step three of the program. Step three of the program, Jan, you are in for life. You are in step three for your entire NFL career. If you produce, if you have one more mishap in any shape or form, a diluted sample, testing positive, you are out for a season. You're banned for a season. You remember the Ricky Williams situation mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. It's exactly like that. Um, so, yeah, he dodged a major bullet in that he only got suspended for six weeks. But the thing is, there's a target on the back of his head where if, you know, while in step three, he produces anything other than clean urine that's not diluted, he could be suspended for an entire season. And uh, if somehow he does that and makes it back onto an NFL team after being suspended for a season, he could be banned for life on a, on a, a fifth you, positive test. What do you think um... – what do you think the mood is like now that the suspension's over? Over in now that they know about the suspension, mm-hmm. I uh, I think they all kind of already were preparing for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it started off with four games. I was I think that was just an educated guess on behalf of you know people like me who know that in step two you can only be suspended for four games. No one thought about diluted sample um, until Vaughn started saying things like you know I did not smoke marijuana. Uh, marijuana is not a part of my life. Uh, Von Miller denied it up until about 30 minutes after the announcement was made. John, now we got a call from the NFL office, and he was the first one in the Broncos to know and, and kind of gone from there. So John Elway actually had a press conference today with John Fox, and John Elway was asked, uh, were the Broncos aware of the Von Miller situation, the suspension, the possible suspension, uh, prior to getting rid of Elvis Dumerville? And Vaughn and uh, John Elway says absolutely not. We didn't. We found out about Vaughn in May, and I think that the whole Elvis Dumerville situation happened just around you know the start of um, free agency, which was in March. 
So uh, Broncos didn't know about the Von Miller situation when they were drafting. They didn't know about the Von Miller situation during the beginning of free agency. They went ahead and got Sean Phillips anyway, who Sean Phillips doesn't look like he's going to replace Von Miller um, because they've now named Nate Irving the strong side linebacker. Um, Nate Irving was expected to start at middle linebacker, and now he's pushed over to strong side linebacker to replace Nate Irving, or excuse me, to replace Von Miller. And we have uh, Wesley Woodyard coming over from the weak side, going into middle linebacker. And at the weak uh, side linebacker, we now have Danny Trevathan. Uh, Danny Trevathan is a guy who, oh, whenever he was on the field last season, he was just brilliant and a really, really, really fun player to watch. And in preseason, he had a really strong week one. His week two wasn't as, wasn't as strong, I guess I'll, I'll say it that way. But um, after seeing him in week one, I was like, we got to get this guy on the field somehow. We can't you know, run 3-4. We got Danny Trevathan in on nickel formation. I don't know. Uh, but now he's at uh, starting weak side linebacker. And I, I'm guessing that means Sean Phillips will probably be at defensive end, which is interesting because, uh, you know, uh, we had the Derek Wolf injury in week uh, last last week against the Seattle Seahawks and it did not look good, but it looks like he might be available as of week one of the regular season. Um, what about, um, what about Robert Ayers? You, you think they're going <laughs> to Robert Ayers is on the opposite side. Robert Ayers is on, uh, Robert Ayers is on the, um, Elvis Dumerville side. Oh, Derek Wolf was on, on uh, Sean Phillips side. Uh, Derek Wolf was on the, so, uh, I mean, in an ideal world, you'd have Derek Wolf, and then lining up right next to him would be Von Miller. And then on the other side, you'd have Robert Robert Ayers. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was ever a package necessarily where it was Wolf, Phillips, and Von Miller. Well, that's a heck of a lot of rushing talent. I don't know that the Broncos were – they weren't showing that in training camp. I don't know what they have planned for the regular season. One thing uh, I want to get to a little bit later is just talk about what the Broncos have been running while in the preseason and kind of why I think fans – probably so disappointed but before that uh yeah we had we had a trade today oh yeah we have a new player (laughs) that we brought in from the um seattle seahawks so this is a weird story um john moffitt is his name he was traded uh he's a he's a a guard he played a little center he played center for 19 games actually for for wisconsin in college but he's played guard his entire professional career. He was traded for, and I always mess up his name. I'm so sorry, Seaver. It's Seaver Seeliga. Uh, he was a defensive tackle. So we traded him straight up, defensive tackle for guard. And But prior to that, John Moffitt was actually um, traded to the Cleveland Browns by the Seattle Seahawks earlier today. Now, Moffitt didn't um, pass his physical with the Cleveland Browns. So they ended up giving him to the Broncos. Now, two things to me. What I want to talk about is how that kind of opens up the the path for – so Chris Cooper has been at – he's been playing a little center in practice and in training camp. And I think ideally the Broncos would love to have Chris Cooper play center. So you're looking at an offensive line, which is Ryan Clady. You got uh, Zane Beatles, and you'd have Chris Cooper, and you'd have um, – uh, Luis Vasquez, and you'd have Orlando Franklin. Like that's a really strong offensive line. However, they just haven't gotten been able to get it together yet. They have Manny Manny Ramirez there right now. They have Ryan Lilja uh, trying you know to replace him. Ryan Lilja was out on Monday. Uh, they said it was a vet's day off, but I'm not sure that he even 
participated on Tuesday in practice either. Um, so you bring in a veteran guard when you have two Pro Bowl caliber guards already there, three if you count Cooper, it doesn't really make sense that you'd have four guards. So I think that maybe Cooper might be bumping up to center and you have a really strong backup in John Muffett at um, either guard or center. And I think the Broncos want to, want to come into the season having eight um, offensive linemen on, the, on their on their uh, 53-man roster. You could have, you know, you could put all eight on the 45-man game day roster or you could sit one out, which they did a lot last year with Chris Clark. Chris Clark is a guy who can, who can kind of play either outside tackle as well. Should the Broncos be concerned that Moffitt failed his physical with the Cleveland Browns? That's, that's what I'm saying. They already have so many healthy um, guards. You know, you have uh, you have Chris Cooper. He can play either guard. He's trying to get in at center. You have Ryan Lilja. He can play either guard position. We have a lot of interior offensive linemen on this on this team that could that could switch kind of in and out um and even Muffet he's he's a guy who played center at, at Wisconsin and he's only in his third season so he's only like two years removed he's he's got I mean not arguably inarguably he's got more experience at center than Chris Cooper so it's hard to say what the Broncos are really want to do they have uh six guys now on on in camp who are capable of playing center five of which have you know, extensive experience doing it. Um, a funny story about Moffitt. Moffitt um, <laughs> was arrested. He, Moffitt, Moffitt was, okay, let's start at the beginning. In 2011, Moffitt's rookie season, he was injured, I believe, in week 13. And then he got actually got suspended while injured before games for, for taking a, a performance-enhancing drug. His agent... Um, Stated that it was, um, it was. What's the one that people are taking all the time now to study? What's the name of that drug? Adderall. Adderall. I always forget Adderall. I never took Adderall, obviously. But um, and that's that's kind of like the the vanity answer for when players get because because you can't actually say within the program rules. The NFL can't just come out and say it was steroids. They can't. It could be literally anything. And um, so his agent said it was Adderall. And then in 2012, uh, it's a funny story. I guess we'll probably link it in the comments to this, uh, to this blog. But Moffitt was arrested for at least twice urinating in a Seattle mall parking lot and giving 24 months worth of probation. So he's still on probation for urinating publicly and running from a cop after being caught for the second time. Um, he's, he's apparently... <laughs> He's apparently a uh, fan favorite in Seattle, though, so hopefully the Denver Broncos fans will like him as well. We'll try and get him on the podcast, see if he's available next week. Um, we got some some questions, some interesting things to ask him, at least to say the very least. Uh, one more Broncos news for today. The Broncos signed veteran linebacker Paris Lennon. Um, on, that was on Tuesday. Sorry, not today. Better middle linebacker. This guy's played – he's an 11-year vet. He's played for literally half the NFL. He, he came in – this is how old this guy is. He came in under head coach George Seifert. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Super like, Bowl champion coach George Seifert? Uh, George Seifert of Joe Montana. No, no, no. Steve Young. Did he cho- coach Joe Montana or did he just coach he Steve Young? He coached Joe Montana. They oh, were, Joe Montana. He, was, he was the head coach that kicked our butts in Super Bowl 24. 
That George Seifert. That was uh, the 55 to 10 game. I believe was the head coach when Mike Shanahan was an offensive coordinator in San Francisco and Gary Kubiak was the quarterback's coach. That's, this is how old um, Paris Lennon is. <laughs> However, he had a really productive season last year, Jan. He had about he had 105 combined tackles um, as an Arizona Cardinal, and the Broncos are bringing him in. They're obviously not happy with what they have at middle linebacker, they, and they really need depth because Stuart Bradley's hurt right now. He's got surgery uh, scheduled this week on his wrist. So uh, at middle linebacker, there's Nate Irving, who's starting, who's now starting at Sam linebacker, and there's Wesley Woodyard, who's now, you know, was the weak side linebacker, now starting at middle linebacker. We have backup Steven Johnson, who I think Steven Johnson um, can back up any position, but I think he's probably the secondary. Uh, so he's probably the second team middle linebacker now. Um, but yeah, uh, bringing in a vet. And you remember last year around this time we brought in Keith Brooking, so. Everyone thought that was stupid, too. Yeah. <laughs> he ended up being pretty decent. He did it well. Um, and then one thing, one thing, uh, just before we get over to, to Michael from Turf Show Times, we want to talk about was Brandon, not uh, Brandon, I almost said Brandon Whedon, Brock Osweiler. We want to talk about Brock Osweiler <laughs> and his, uh, we want to talk about the 2012 draft class for quarterbacks. And 2012 draft class, let me just run down for you real quick in case you forgot. We have um, Andrew Luck. We had RG3. We had Ryan Tannehill. We had Brandon Whedon. Then went Brock Osweiler. Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks went right after that. We had Nick Foles, who was just named the second-string quarterback on Tuesday for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Michael Vick actually beat him out, but he's in his second year. Um, Mike, uh, Nick Foles is in his second year, not Michael Vick. And then we had Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins just went down. Um, with a foot injury during the Washington Redskins, Washington Redskins last game. Um, you were out Tannehill as well. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill from the Miami Dolphins. So we got how many? How many? How many were those quarterbacks from the playoffs last year? One, two, three, four, five. We have five quarterbacks from that list that were on that were in the playoffs last year. Um, Osweiler was a backup. Kirk Cousins was a backup. But Kirk Cousins actually ended up playing in the game because RG3 got hurt. And we had, of those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, of those eight quarterbacks, all of them, well, five of them are starting quarterbacks this season. And Nick Foles was in the running to be a starting quarterback um, as late as today. He just didn't wasn't able to beat out Mike Vick. Um, Kirk Cousins, he's good enough to start on pretty much uh, – you know, any of the lower tier offenses, he's just injured right now. But I would take Kirk Cousins over a guy, a guy, guy. I would take him over a guy like uh, Jake Locker. Oh yeah. <laughs> I would take him over Blaine Gabbert. Mm-hmm. Um, I might even take him over Ryan Tannehill. I'm not. How do you feel about Ryan Tannehill? Would you ever draft him in fantasy football? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not familiar with his receivers, um, except Mike for Wallace. Mike Wallace. From, but <laughs> yeah. from last year, he had some pretty decent weapons. I think um, I think he'll have a, a a good year. I think there's a lot of expectations right now in in South he, Florida. Right, he's listed in a lot of places as a sleeper for fantasy football. I don't know; it's hard to say what's going to end up happening with the Miami Dolphins. They could be bad. They could be good. No, and that division. Was, yeah, that division is going to be tough, especially with facing Tom Brady twice. Yeah, Tom Brady twice, and then uh, I think 
Geno Smith was just named the the uh, he's starting week three in the preseason for the New York Jets, so he may be the actual season starter over Mark Sanchez. And you got the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins are kind of like the they're like the little engine that could in that division. They could actually end up you know being decent. Mm-hmm. And their defense will be good yeah. at, at worst. Well, the reason why you know we we brought up the quarterback class from last year is because this could be like the foundation of the NFL for the next ten years. Possibly. This is prop. I mean, even from these the top five quarterbacks from that Osweiler side, you got Luck, RG three, Tannehill, Wilson, and Whedon. Um, that's like the nineteen eighty three quarterback class almost right there. Nineteen eighty three quarterback class. We had Elway, we had Marino, we had Kelly, oh, Jim Kelly, Tony Eason, yeah. Ken O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah, Eason. Um, yeah. Eason was a decent quarterback for a while. Eason was a Super Bowl quarterback. He, yeah. qu- he quarterbacked the Patriots in Super Bowl twenty against the Bears, but that didn't last very much. They <laughs> 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 get stopped right there. So we have, yeah, we have, um, we have a decent, we have a decent quarterback class in uh, twenty twelve. Osweiler could take over for Peyton Manning. He might not. Um, so far, it hasn't worked out for former Peyton Manning backups. You look at uh, Jim Sorge. Or Curtis Painter. Who does Curtis Painter play for now, Young? He's now the backup to um, the other Manning, um, Eli Manning in New York. Giants. So, uh, yeah, we got Curtis Painter in the New York Giants uniform now. It's kind of odd, you know, like uh, the Giants also, um, when they were Sorge, Jim Sorge was a free agent, the Giants also picked him up. So the Giants are just picking up all of Peyton Manning's backups. <laughs> you must like Eli. Must like the way they hold the clipboard. <laughs> or Eli's like going, like, these guys won't take my job. No, <laughs> that's true. So yeah, we got um, all those guys, and then um, I don't know. Like next ten years, I'd say I'd feel comfortable saying three of those seven will win a Super Bowl. Yeah, Andrew Luck will, will probably win a Super Bowl in his career. RG three will at least be in a Super Bowl in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about Osweiler that's different from like Curtis Painter or Jim Sorge is that Osweiler is coming at the end of Peyton Manning's career, and he's not—he wasn't drafted to be a backup. He was drafted to be a starter, and he's got at least you know three, maybe even four years in the NFL before he takes over. Um, and he might, you know, a la Aaron Rodgers, a la Brett Favre. Yeah, but you know, like Osweiler—he's what? He's 22 years old now. He was super yeah. raw coming out of, what is it, Arizona, Arizona yeah. State? So, Arizona, yeah, yeah, he was coached by Dennis Erickson, who Dennis Erickson is, has coached a few NFL caliber players back when he was in Miami and ended up at ASU. The thing I didn't like about all the ASU draft picks is, like, the, that wasn't a 6-6 six and six football team. And we got three, at the time we had four players from ASU, and we didn't even get the best one. <laughs> the best one was um, placed for the Cincinnati Bengals right now. But we have Omar Bolden, we have uh, Jarrell Robinson, and we have Brock Osweiler. And they're all from that 6-6 six and six ASU team. And you know who went to ASU was was uh, John Elway's son, Jack Elway. Jack Elway, yeah. He was, he was a quarterback there until his junior year when he dropped out. I think he – I'm not going to get into personal things, but I think that he may have um, dropped out for whatever reason. You can ask Avery about that next time. Apparently, they're friends. <laughs> yeah, I realized that Osweiler was number seventeen. Who was seventeen last year that had that number? It was I don't remember. Somebody, I do not remember. Someone was hoarding his number. It was a receiver, probably. Yeah. I can't remember. 
I can't, I can't think of it either. But I was actually, you know, like this past, um, this past week was the first time I got to catch the Broncos play, and I was like, going, like, who's seventeen? I was like, oh, it's Brock. He looked, <laughs> he looked good from a distance. I think if he's, I think once he gets a that that game four in the preseason when they he get to pretty much take all the snaps, I think that should give us a pretty good idea of, of where yeah, he's going. Yeah, and I owe I owe Brock Osweiler a giant apology, mainly because. I've done nothing but just talk bad about what a bad pick that was. I think a lot of like maybe the radio guys in Denver agree with me. You had Russell Wilson there. Um, we missed Doug Martin because of it, and yeah, we. I mean, we could have we we traded back in order to get the Brock Osweiler pick. We missed Doug Martin got picked right in our. You know, think about what a different team this would be right now if we would have just stayed put, drafted Doug Martin. We still would have Derek Wolf. We the only player we wouldn't have. Be Brock Osweiler. All right, so we got um, Michael, or sorry, Mike from from Turf Show Times. He's going to be up in one second. just landed, ordered a pizza, sat down, plugged in his uh, microphone, and he's with us as well. Hi, Kyle. Yeah. How is everybody doing? I just landed in California. I'm not quite to Denver yet. And I'm choosing to podcast on the MHR radio podcast instead of going to the beach at sunset. <laughs> I'm just stupid. <laughs> uh, and I guess more importantly, we're jo- joined by Mike Hans here from uh, Rams Addiction, the Rams Addiction podcast, which you could hear actually today um, on... On your site, Kyle's joining you as well. Hi, Mike. Yeah, hey, how we doing, guys? Great. Um, no, actually, we're not doing great. Today's been a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just found out, we're, I don't know if you heard about it, but uh, the Broncos' sack leader and uh, starting strong linebacker is, is out for six games. Yes, I did hear about the Von Miller news. And as you guys mentioned, we are going to have a podcast coming out tomorrow at ramsaddiction.com, where we talked to Kyle late last night about the potential Von Miller suspension, which is now going to be old news when we air ours tomorrow. So definitely did hear about that. That's unfortunate for the Broncos, but I'm sure somewhat expected for you guys. The fortunate thing is that you guys did get to speak about Josh McDaniels a bit, I heard. That is true. That is true. We're always up for that in St. Louis. The only good thing about the Josh McDaniels there in St. Louis is that it lasted only one year. Uh, we got two. Well, one and a half. It felt felt like 12. One and three quarters. I think Kyle just got his press credentials back from the Josh McDaniels era. I'm not positive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the only time that we had Josh McDaniels in St. Louis, it was a long year, too. The Rams uh, earned themselves the number two pick in the draft that year. (laughs) We got the number two pick in uh, that that same year. Well, the the next year after Josh McDaniels left. There you go, Von Miller. It all comes back circle. Yeah, so Josh McDaniels is a blessing for our second pick. Hopefully yours isn't suspended though. Not not as of yet. It actually was. Uh, it was a a bundle of picks. It was the RG three trade. So real quick, just to um, bring these two topics because the the other things that we have in common is um, Paris Lennon. Broncos just signed him today. Eleven uh, year vet who also did time with the St. Louis Rams, I, I believe. How many years was he with you guys? 
You know, I really have no idea. I know that he was around for a good couple of seasons. It was during the Steve Spagnuolo era, so I'm wanting to say uh, the 2010-2011 seasons. But to be honest, those seasons were pretty rough to watch, and he was pretty nondescript even at that time. Um, so that should probably tell you all you need to know about Paris London. Yeah, I mean, he left uh, St. Louis to go to Arizona and kind of ended up, kind of ended up. Um, uh, he had a decent season for, you know, he had 105 assisted tackles. He had 105 tackles with 73 solo tackles. Um, but so, Mike, one thing that you guys didn't get enough credit for last season was you guys were a decent team. And in the, if the end, all is fair in the NFC West, you guys would have been number one, right? Yeah, yeah. The Rams finished with the best record in division last year. They were 4-1-1 one, one against the NFC West. Um splitting games with uh, Seattle, which was arguably one of the best teams in the NFC, and then also having one win and one tie, so technically not losing to the Niners at all last year. The Rams were 7-8-1, and one, so they're obviously pretty mediocre record-wise, but um, other than one game in London where they played New England, they played competitive against pretty much everybody all year long. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to say. You guys aren't really getting enough credit because those teams, the 49ers and the Seahawks, are, I mean, amongst – Vegas bets, at least Vegas odds. Um, you know, they're two of the top five teams in the NFL, along with the Broncos, who who may be taking a hit after the Von Miller news. Yeah, so, definitely. And and we kind of look at it. The Rams are a team that I think a lot of people consider to be on the rise, but I think a lot of people, probably myself included too, think they're maybe a year or two away from jumping either Seattle or San Francisco, they're kind of in a tough spot where they are an ascending team, but they've got two teams in their division that are clearly leaps and bounds better at this point. What do you see being the difference? What, what would it take for you guys to hurdle either the Seahawks or the Niners? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think where the Rams are right now is that they're relying on an awful lot of young players. Um, the Niners and, and Seahawks obviously both kind of caught lightning in a bottle a little bit with Kaepernick and Wilson. Kaepernick being a second-round pick, Wilson being a third-round pick. It's just going to be hard to find guys um, that you know can come out and play the way that those two did if you're not spending a really high draft pick on them. But the Rams are in a position right now where their roster really, when Jeff Fisher took over after the 2011 season, was in such bad shape outside of Sam Bradford that it took just – year to get them back together and to start drafting young players who are going to start pointing in the right direction. So I think they're a year closer to closing that gap. But when Wilson and Kaepernick came in, both Seattle and San Francisco had pretty dominant defenses and pretty dominant run games with Frank Gore and Marshawn Lynch. And so they were really able to highlight what those two quarterbacks can do well. I think the Rams are just now getting to that point with Bradford. So hopefully the gap this year closes a little bit. Yeah, it was really interesting last year how um, even under Josh McDaniels, like Sam Bradford just kind of never got it together. And, and you know, that's the one thing that you had to give McDaniels credit for, whether it was in New England or Denver. He's always able to get a quarterback to perform. I mean, you know, we had like Tebow came in under Josh McDaniels. And, and whatever you feel about Josh McDaniels, Tebow did, you know, take the Broncos to the playoffs the next season under John Fox, whether that's. Josh McDaniel's credit or Mike McCoy's credit or John Fox's credit. You guys, he kind of left a decent team in the wake. Um, he had um, some pretty decent offensive players, Zane Beatles, uh, Eric Decker, Demarius Thomas. I see Kyle's like face lighting up. He's like, he left us decimated. But you guys felt the same way. Like he kind of left you guys 
the offensive and there was there was no benefit from having Josh McDaniels or Steve Spagnolo on the St. Louis Rams. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, to, to put it in perspective, um, this is a stat that's well known in St. Louis, but at the end of Steve Spagnolo's tenure, so at the end of the 2011 season, the Rams are coming off a five year stretch where their combined record was 15 and 65, which is the worst five year stretch in the history of the NFL. Eek. So it doesn't get any worse than that, obviously. And the problem is that in Spagnolo's second year, so the year previous to bringing in McDaniels, when Pat Shermer was their offensive coordinator who got hired that offseason to go to Cleveland, that season the Rams played a very, very soft schedule with Sam Bradford's rookie year, and they were 7-9. and nine. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but they played a game in Seattle at Seattle on Sunday night where Seattle was also ended up being 7-9. and nine. The winner was going to go to the playoffs. So the Rams were a team that a lot of people considered to be on the rise. They had this young rookie quarterback. Bradford was offensive rookie of the year of the league that year. Then they bring in McDaniels. And so they surrounded Bradford with a lot of older players who were on the other side of 30, on the bad side of their career. And a lot of guys who in one year in 2011 either ended up getting banged up or guys that completely fell off the table it was also the year, if you remember, where the NFL had their lockout, and McDaniels and Bradford really didn't get a chance to work together until that lockout ended, which I think was in August of that year. So it was a total bad combination, and then early in the year, Sam Bradford suffered a high ankle sprain. I believe he only started either nine or ten games in 2011. So it was really a perfect storm where at the end of that 2011 season, there was really nothing happened from a positive perspective. That was a really disappointing sophomore effort or, you know, happening for Sam Bradford. I remember uh, looking forward to seeing him perform a little bit better. Uh, I want to ask you about Jeff Fisher, though. Um, his impact on the team, I know when he, with his time in the Titans, he was not as in control of personnel as he might have liked. What is his status there with the Rams? How much control does he have over personnel? How much say does he have when it comes to drafting players and picking up free agents? I think he's got quite a bit. Um, it's never really been clearly laid out, but the Rams general manager, Les Snead, who came over from Atlanta, he was one of Thomas Dimitrov's right-hand men there. He came over, and he's the GM for the Rams, and he's really running the show from a personnel perspective, from a draft perspective. But you can kind of see Jeff Fisher's fingerprints all over it. The one big difference that Rams fans have noticed between Spagnolo and Jeff Fisher is that Spagnuolo was somebody who wanted proven commodities. He wanted guys that had production in college or as a free agent had production with their previous team and they could slide them right into a role. Whereas Fisher, somebody he wants to go for top high end talent. So last year in the draft, it's guys like Janoris Jenkins who are raw, but he feels he can coach into a role this year. It's Tavon Austin and Alec Ogletree. He wants the most physically talented players and has the confidence that he can mold them into a football player in the team aspect that he's looking for. So that's really where I see Fisher coming in is that Sneed's drafting the players, but he's kind of got his fingerprints on certain guys that he wants in. So looking at free agency prior to free agency happening this year, one of the guys that I wanted desperately for the Denver Broncos was Danny Amendola. And um, how much he ended up going to the Patriots, we ended up getting Wes Welker, but how much does the loss of, of Amendola hurt the St. Louis Rams this year? Actually, I'm going to shock you guys by saying I think it helps the Rams. Wow. <laughs> okay. In what way? I'll explain, I'll explain why. One of the reasons that 
the Rams have been held back the past couple of years, at least in Bradford's first few years, they have totally lacked an explosiveness across their offense. Danny Amendola has a very, very defined role. He's a slot player. He's somebody who's going to catch a lot of balls underneath. But what you'll see a lot of of Danny Amendola, if you watch him more closely, is that he's a guy that usually catches the ball between five or 10 yards from the line of scrimmage and then gets tackled almost immediately. Danny Amendola's career yards per catch, I believe, is just under nine. It's about 8.8, 8.9 yards per catch, which is a lot less than new Rams tight end Jared Cook, for example, who's at about 14 yards per catch in his first three years. So Amendola is just a guy that is solid. He's obviously somebody who's got great hands. He knows how to get open underneath. But if you pair him with what the Rams have had the past couple of years with Steven Jackson at running back, Brandon Gibson at outside receiver, these were guys that were reliable, but they could never take a five yard slant and go 60 yards for a touchdown and change the game. And I think the Rams, by letting Amendola go, they let Gibson walk this offseason, too. He signed with Miami, bringing in Tavon Austin, Chris Givens emerging as an outside receiver, and then bringing in Jared Cook. They went from a bunch of guys that were going to require them to have 10, 12 play drives to a handful of guys that on one, two plays can flip the field and change a game. Yeah, two players I wanted to ask you about. You, you just covered them with, with Tavon Austin and uh, Chris Givens. I think um, – Everyone's kind of interested in about the running backs as well with the loss of Steven Jackson. You guys have Isaiah Pede. Um, how is the running situation in St. Louis so, so far through the first two weeks? Yeah, it's it's pretty unsettled at this point. Um, Jeff Fisher came out earlier this week and, and kind of de facto named Daryl Richardson the starting running back, which was not really surprised anybody who's been following it here. He's somebody who had kind of led the charge early he was his main change of pace back last year as a rookie had just under 500 yards rushing so he's a nice but he's more of a scat back type he's probably under 200 pounds eight five nine a smaller back, so he doesn't really look like a prototypical number one running back they've also got isaiah p who they took in the second round of last year who didn't do much really got passed up by daryl richardson in the preseason last year and then a fifth-round pick this year, Zach Stacy, who also figures to get in the mix. He's a little bit more of the traditional, um, you know, 5'10", 210-pound running back. You can kind of envision running between the tackles. So I don't really think they're going to rely on any one guy. I think if they do, it's going to be mostly Daryl Richardson. But also the Rams have shown signs early this offseason and even going back to OTAs of now looking at their new offense, of trying to open things up. You're going to see a lot more of Sam Bradford and shotgun most likely. And when they do use a running back, it might be more in the screen game. It might be more in a zone read type. Um, so I think they're going to use the running backs in a much different way than they did with Jackson a year ago. That is interesting. And it um, brings me to the passing offense. And the player I want to ask you about, Tavon Austin. Um, I, I hear he's having kind of a quiet preseason. Are the Rams hiding him? Do you think that's intentional? Are the Rams hiding the secret weapon of theirs to unleash on the NFL come week one? I think a little bit, at least I, I hope they are, because um, we haven't seen too much of him in the first couple of games. He did have seven targets in their last preseason game against the Packers. Um, Bradford threw 12 passes, and seven of them were targeted to Austin. He caught four of them. So he showed a little bit of signs of life, but he really caught balls underneath in the Packers game. He was only targeted once in the first game of the preseason. I think a little bit of it is hiding them, and he's actually a guy that I should have mentioned is a part of their running game. I mean, Going back to his days at West Virginia, he was somebody who had 
you know, 100-yard rushing games at West Virginia where they were able to either toss the ball to him coming around in motion or he actually lined up in the backfield quite a bit against Oklahoma in one of their games last year. So Austin could factor into the running game as well, sweeps, but he's also going to be a guy who's going to definitely be their punt returner. He's also possibly going to be their kick returner. I think they're going to get the the ball in his hands quite a bit once the regular season starts, but I'm not really sure exactly how his game is going to transition, if he's going to be able to jump right into the scene and make plays like he did in college. One thing the the Broncos and the Rams had in common last season was that they both they split the lead for team sacks on defense, and it looks like the Rams only got better with the addition of, of Alec Ogletree. Right, yeah, I think the, the Rams are looking to be right up in that top group again. Um, the Rams have two really good bookend defensive ends. It's probably their strongest position on their team. They've got Chris Long and Robert Quinn, who both started – Last year, both had double-digit sacks last year. They also took Michael Brockers in the first round last year, who flashed, had a handful of sacks as a defensive tackle, and he's a guy that all Rams fans, myself included, are super excited about. I think Brockers is only going to get better. And then they've got some nice situational pass rushers as well, guys like William Hayes, Eugene Sims, that did a nice job last year. Ogletree figures to add to that. Um, the Rams also have their own suspension to deal with. Jolon Dunbar, who is a starting outside linebacker, and I believe had three or four sacks last year himself. Um, he's going to be suspended the first four games for PDs. So we're kind of right there in the same boat as you guys on that one. <laughs> you store a wealth of information. It's pretty impressive, Mike. Um, good for you to be able to just uh, come up with those stats on the fly. Uh, my next question, and perhaps my last, is what are you looking forward to this Saturday? Broncos and Rams, preseason game, prime time. Uh, what are you looking for? Well, actually, um, Kyle, you had kind of mentioned it when we we talked uh, yesterday um, on the Rams Addiction podcast. You had mentioned about having Ryan Clady back on the offensive line for the Broncos and wanting to see kind of how the Rams defensive line does against the Broncos offensive line. The Rams defensive line, they've been admittingly so they've been pretty vanilla so far. They've talked a lot about that. They've used the term vanilla quite a bit. Um, They haven't really been bringing any blitzes, rushing the passer. And they've really kind of gotten shredded a little bit the first couple of games, both by Brandon Whedon and then Aaron Rodgers this past weekend. So I'd like to see the Rams defensive line kind of come to play, get some pressure on Manning early in the game, give the Rams offense a short field and allow the Rams to actually get into the end zone. They did score once in their first preseason game, but last week against the Packers, they had two red zone turnovers by their offense. So I'd like to see their defense get some pressure, um, get a nice field position early in the game and see the starters Get a touchdown. Nice. All right. Well, that's uh, Mike Hans here from Rams Addiction Podcast. Thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, not a problem, guys. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Thanks for your time. All right.